You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. Hi there. If you could uh, have that passage open, if you've got a Bible, uh, it would be great. Um, Thank you so much for the welcome and for your partnership. It really means a lot to us uh, to have a church like yours um, behind us, supporting us, praying for us. Um, and welcome to those who are online, if, uh, if you're watching. Um, it's good to have you join us too. Um, just before I start, if you're interested in um, having a, a fridge magnet uh, of our lovely, beautiful faces, um, they're on the desk out there. This is a full-size magnet, so once you put it on, you can't get it off. I'm just kidding. Um, so when you go and get the milk out or whatever, the fruit for, for breakfast, you can pray for us as you do that. It'd be great. Um, we've also, also got some cards that just explain uh, our team, which is called Summit Youth. So there's information there if you're interested in finding out more and supporting us in that. Well, doing um, mission has been quite challenging of late, uh, especially because of the pandemic. Um, for a number of months in the last few years, we were unable to meet any of our refugee youth that we're trying to reach. We had to actually cancel a number of our activities, which is hard. Um, and then it's not just our mission work that was affected. Uh, a friend of ours who we were on team with, learning language and culture in Cambodia, had to return back to the States because of COVID. And another friend that I went to college with uh, was planning to go to Indonesia and had to cancel uh, altogether and has ended up in ministry back here in Australia, which is great. But yeah, uh, COVID has affected Uh, mission, and it does make you wonder what God is doing in this pandemic. Um, What's going on? Why why is this happening? Uh, One thing uh, it did do and has done, uh, it's driven myself uh, and those in our network in Summit uh, to pray more because, well, in the lockdown, there wasn't much else we could do except to pray. And it does raise the question, uh, then what difference do our prayers make? Uh, What role do they play in in God's mission? Uh, Is it just during a pandemic that we pray extensively? Uh, Is prayer just a last resort when there's nothing else that we can do? Well, today we're looking, uh, getting a behind-the-scenes look into heaven. Uh, We get to see what God is doing in the world, what his plans are. And most importantly for our topic this morning, uh, what role our prayers play in God's mission, what he's doing in the world. Now, you've probably all seen one of those behind-the-scenes um, documentaries, you know, the ones where you, you get a behind-the-scenes look into a, a great sporting team or, a, or an artistic group, and you get to see what makes them successful and the, the relationships and the dynamics that uh, goes on behind that you don't see. Um, a while back, I watched uh, the documentary Get Back, uh, which is about the Beatles' last album and rooftop concert. Has anyone seen that documentary? No? <laughs> Shaking heads. Okay. I thought, I, should I go? The other one I watched was, um, was the uh, Chicago Bulls, um, The Last Dance. Has anyone watched that one? Uh, yes, there's more nods there. Okay. Same kind of deal. Okay. You get this little uh, insight into these successful uh, groups. Um, uh, it's really helpful and interesting. And today we're actually getting one of those. We're getting a brief look Uh, at the book of Revelation, and it gives us a behind-the-scenes look into the throne room of heaven. We get to see 
what God's plans and purposes are for the world. And we get to see how our prayers play a role in that. So I'm going to take a very quick sort of uh, backstory in Revelation to get you up to speed. You're probably fairly familiar with Revelation, hopefully. The opening verse of Revelation says that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 1, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And Jesus makes this revelation known to his servant John. Now we know that John is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And he receives this revelation when he is on the island of Patmos. Uh, he's in lockdown. He's in prison. Uh, he is in prison because he's a Christian. Uh, chapter 1 verse 9 tells us he's on Patmos. And John, along with his original readers of this revelation, was suffering. They were suffering uh, having to patiently endure great trials, we're told in verse 9 of chapter 1, for being Christian. It was difficult. It was a hard time to be Christian. And so John is going to be shown what is really happening in the world, what God is doing in the world. Uh, he's invited into the very throne room of God. Now, John is sitting physically in Patmos, uh, perhaps in a house detention or a prison cell, or probably not very pleasant, but he's been ushered into the very throne room of heaven, into the glorious presence of God. And what does he see? Well, in chapter 4, God's, uh, John sees God seated on the throne. He sees creatures praising and worshipping God as the sovereign ruler of all things. Now, uh, let's imagine for a moment if the universe was like one giant aeroplane, um, those things we used to fly on before the pandemic and hopefully now, uh, John has entered the cockpit, if you like. And there John sees who's flying the plane. It's God, God the creator. And then in chapter 5, which is the chapter we're looking at today, John sees a scroll in the right hand of God seated on the throne. And this scroll has writing on both sides of it. Uh, and it's sealed with seven seals, we're told in verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, the question is, what is this uh, seven-sealed scroll? Don't try and say that too quickly. Seven-sealed seven scroll. The book of Revelation is full of symbols. Uh, we're told right at the beginning in chapter 1 that there are things uh, that, are, that symbolize things. The number of seven represents the number of completion because God created the world in seven days and rested on the seventh. The scroll, which has writing on both sides, is in God's right hand, which suggests it represents God's will, his sovereign will for the world. And so what we see, this scroll, seven-sealed scroll, is the complete sovereign will of God. This is everything that God is going to do in the world. This is, if you like, the flight plan for an aircraft. If we get back to our aircraft illustration. It's the flight plan. It's where the plane is going to go. It's where God's going to take the world, what he's going to do. Now, what a scroll to get your hands on. Wouldn't it be great to get your hands on that scroll and pop a couple of the seals and have a look? See what God's going to do. What's God doing with this pandemic? What's God doing with my life? Uh, who am I going to marry? Uh, what kind of job am I going to have? Or when am I going to die? Interesting things to find out if you get your hands on this scroll. Then John sees, verse 2, chapter 5, a mighty angel who asks, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one is found worthy. 
And so what does John do? He weeps. He cries. Why is he so upset? Well, here's a man who's been imprisoned. He's suffering for the gospel, who obviously longs to see God's will in heaven come to plan on earth. And so he grieves. There's no one worthy to open this scroll. There's no one to put this into, into action. But then God is comforted by an elder, verse 5, who tells John that there is someone who is able to open the seven-sealed scroll. Now, this person is never named. He's not given a name, but he's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah, as the root of David who has triumphed. And if we know our Bibles... We know our Old Testament. Revelation picks up many, many allusions to the Old Testament. It's a really important book to know if you want to understand Revelation, the Old Testament. If we know our Old Testament, we know that Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one descended from that great kingly line of Genesis 49. Kings would come from the Lion of Judah. Jesus is in the Lion of Judah. We also know that Jesus is the root of David. Again, verse 5. He is the one descended from that great King David. You know the promise. 2 Samuel 7. God, through, through Samuel, God says, you will have a descendant who will reign on, the throne, on your throne forever. And there is Jesus, the one who died and rose again to live forever, who is descended from David. He is the root of David. And then John sees a lamb looking as if it's been slain. Verse 6, standing at the center of the throne who has taken the scroll from God's right hand. And again, we know from Isaiah 53 that one would come who would be led like a lamb to the slaughter for our iniquities, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Standing at the, in the center of the throne with his hand on the scroll, now the creatures in heaven who worship God back in chapter 4, now they repeatedly praise and worship Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is at the throne, in the center of the throne, who has his hand on the scroll. But why? Why is Jesus praised to be worthy to open this scroll? What makes him so special? Let's have a look at Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. This is the creatures saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and now will reign on the earth. Jesus is worthy because by his blood, he has purchased people of all nations for God. So they might serve God and reign with him on earth. And there it is, friends. There is God's mission plan for the world. Right there in those verses. His heart for the nations. To bring them all into his kingdom. And to do that by the blood of his son. His atoning once for all death for the sins of the world. Here is God's heart for the nations. Revealed to us. Revealed to John and now to us. Now, John and his disciples must surely have been wondering, what is God doing with their imprisonment and their suffering? What is God doing? How can God achieve this plan? If we're sitting in prison, if we're suffering for the gospel, how on earth is he going to 
put this into effect when they're in such a difficult situation. But what a comforting and encouraging thing for John to see and for his disciples to hear that Jesus is now reigning on the throne. The one who suffered and died for them is now the king. Death no longer has hold on him. And what a comforting and encouraging thing for them to see and hear that the scroll, God's sovereign will for the world, is in Jesus' hand. He has control of the world. He doesn't just rule it, he controls it now. In other words, Jesus is in the pilot's seat. He has his hand on the yoke. That's what it's called, apparently. I got corrected. I called it a tiller at another church and I had someone come up to me and said, a tiller's a boat, mate. Okay. A yoke is for an aeroplane. Okay, thanks. Yoke. He's got his hand on the yoke. He's in control. Now, this ought to be a great and comforting encouragement for us as well. As we suffer for Christ, for the gospel, as we groan with the rest of the world under the after effects of this pandemic to see here that Jesus is king and in control. He is, he is able he is worthy to open these scrolls, to put God's plan to bring the nations in to effect. He can do it. But there's more. What ought to be a comfort and encouragement to us further as we face trials and uncertainties is in the midst of this most glorious and majestic scene of Jesus ruling in honour and power in heaven are our prayers. Look at Revelation 5 verse 8 again. And when he had taken it, once Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Jesus has taken the scroll from God's hand. He's taken control of the universe. And the heavenly creatures in his presence, they prepare to worship him. They are holding golden bowls full of incense which we are explicitly told here, we don't have to guess, are the prayers of God's people. Did you notice that? When we had it read, and Amy read it this, just a little while ago, did you notice the prayers amidst all of this? It's easy to miss. Amidst all of the stuff that is going on, all these strange things, creatures with funny eyes, and, and there are our prayers. Amidst everything else that's going on, there in the cockpit of the universe, the epicenter of all things where God rules are our prayers. Now, these days we aren't allowed to enter the cockpit of an aeroplane. I'm old enough to remember the days when you could go into the cockpit of an aeroplane. I did as a kid, but now you can't. How much more the throne room of heaven are we not allowed to enter because, well, sinful people cannot enter the presence of a holy God and Live, we are told. And yet, all the requests we make, all the prayers that we offer, are heard. Our requests for help, our pleas for mercy are being brought into heaven to the throne room of God. Isn't that amazing? That place we cannot go, it's a place where our voices are heard. Isn't that both encouraging and comforting? It's, it's comforting to know that our, our prayers actually get to heaven. They make it there. They don't just bounce off the ceiling. And it's encouraging also to see how prominent our prayers are. These heavenly creatures who are worshipping and praising Jesus are not holding lavish gifts to give to the king. They're not holding a photograph of Jesus saying, would you mind signing 
you autograph for me. No, no, they've got harps to sing and our prayers. That's all they've got. That's the most important thing. Prominence of our prayers here shows how important they are in this heavenly church service. And that is what John is seeing here in Revelation 5. A heavenly church service. It's the church service that our church service here today is modelled on. And there at the centre of this great heavenly church service are our prayers. Every one of our prayers, each and every one of our prayers is important. Including our corporate prayers as we pray together as the people of God, as we gather around Jesus. Okay, so our prayers get there. But do they make a difference? Does God actually answer them? Straight after this heavenly gathering in chapters 4 and 5, John begins to watch Jesus in chapter 6 open the, the seals on that scroll one by one. And he sees judgments come upon the earth. In other words, God's will, his heavenly will is being done on earth. And when the sixth seal is opened, the salvation of God's people comes. He gets a vision of this future salvation of God's people. And what does John see? He sees a great multitude that no one can count. Chapter 7, verse 9. People from every tribe and language and nation and tongue praising God before the throne, serving him, sheltering in his presence. Let's have a look at it. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, Matt's going to talk about this next week, so I won't say too much, but here is a vision of God's mission plan fulfilled. We saw in chapter 5 what God wanted, why Jesus is worthy to put this plan into effect, and now we see it, a vision of it coming to pass. The nations gathering securely in his kingdom. God's heart for the nations has been realized. Now, this mission plan was on God's heart way back in Genesis 15. If you know the promises to Abraham, Abraham says, through you and your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is not a change of heart. This has always been God's heart for the world. To see people of all nations come in and be in his kingdom and be with him. And then, chapter 8, verse 1, the seventh and last seal is opened. And there is silence in heaven for half an hour. Now, all of us, I'm guessing, we all live in a busy, noisy city, and you can appreciate how golden half an hour's silence would be. Uh, we live in a small house on a six-lane road, main road, uh, in the inner west of Sydney, and there's planes and trains and automobiles, and there's very rarely half a, an hour of silence. Uh, we took a trip out to one of our other supporting churches in Wagga, um, a few months back and climbed into bed after a busy day of traveling and I lay there and it was silent. And I thought, I noticed it. It's like, wow, 
does actually exist. Silence. Silence is golden. Uh, filmmakers use silence to draw attention to a scene, don't they? When there's a big, busy, noisy action scene, they slow it down and they drop the sound. And what does it do? It makes you pay attention, doesn't it? It makes you go, hang on, something significant is going to happen. Now, preachers use silence sometimes to kind of get your attention. Something significant is going to happen. What is that? What's going to happen? Half an hour of silence is significant. It stands out. It marks out a momentary reprieve from the judgments of God. And what does John see? Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. When he'd opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. On the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hands. John sees an angel offering incense at the altar with all the prayers of God's people. And these prayers of ours rise up before God. Verse 4, you see it there. Like smoke from a fire rises up into the sky. Our prayers are likened to the Old Testament sacrifices, the, uh, the sacrifices that the Old Testament people had to make. And when their smoke went up, the smell of the sacrifice was pleasing to God. It's, it's picking up that language of that sacrifice when God smells the sacrifice, he's pleased with it. And the inference here is that as the prayers rise up to God, God is pleased with them. He wants to answer them. He is answering them. And immediately, the judgments of God resume. There's another cycle of seven. Not seven seals, but seven trumpets. Chapters 8 to 11 announce the establishment of God's rule through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. So... What does all this mean for our prayers? It means that these prayers of ours that are brought into heaven as part of this heavenly church service back in chapter 5 are now being answered as God's kingdom comes in, as people are gathered in. And so by the end of Revelation, God's judgments are complete, chapter 20. And then what do we see? We see the heavenly city come down out of heaven and everything is made new. And included in that new creation are the nations. The nations that God loves and wants to rescue coming in. Revelation 21, verses 24 to 27. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will gather their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. Well, there'll be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There we see at the end of the, of the Bible, God's will for this world, his heart for the nations realized. And again, the presence of our prayers in heaven ought to be a great comfort and encouragement as we face trials, when we see this, God's going to do it. We need to keep praying that it would be done. He wants us to be part of his mission, to bring his plan to fruition. Be comforted, friends. 
encouraged knowing that God is answering the prayers of his people to bring about his will, to complete his mission. And we may feel helpless and powerless at times. And when you think about 7,000 unreached people groups, oh my goodness, where do you start? Start by praying. You pray because as James says, the prayer of a righteous person is both powerful and effective. You're not wasting your time. They are powerful and effective. James 5 verse 16, God wants us to pray. He commands us to pray. And as we've seen today, our prayers are a prominent part of his mission plan. He wants to use our prayers to bring about his plan for the world, to bring glory to himself. Our prayers are so prominent in the throne room of heaven, they ought to be prominent in our ministry here as a church, as a people of God. In Luke 6, Jesus spent all night on a mountain praying to God. All night. The first thing he commands his 72 to do as they go out on mission, Luke 10 verse 2, is to pray. The first thing, pray. Pray that God would send people out into the harvest field. Paul urges Timothy in his first letter, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, first of all, to what? Pray for all people. The history of Christian mission shows us again and again something that is still true today, that disciple-making movements, great waves of people coming to know the Lord Jesus, often, if not only happens, after a great deal of prayer after people get together and start praying for a particular people group to come to know the Lord Jesus. Let me give you an example. In the late 1980s, a disciple-making movement happened amongst the Bajpuri people of northern India. They were an unreached people group with no Christians and no one had the chance of hearing about Jesus. Three people got together and decided to pray earnestly. Three people started praying for this unreached people group. They managed to convince some other people, a few thousand actually, to join them online around the world to pray for the Bajpuri people so that now, 30-odd years later, there are millions of Bajpuri Christians. Millions. Because three people got down on their knees and started praying for them and encouraged other people to start praying for them. It's not that their prayers are magic or anything like that, but that's what God wants us. He wants us to pray. We see it here, to pray for the nations and he will answer that to his glory. We don't just pray in a pandemic, friends. We want a pandemic of prayer. We want a prayerfulness that is infectious. We want people to join us as we pray, gather together. I'm so thankful that you guys are praying, that you, Wednesday night is an opportunity to come together and to pray. If you want to align your hearts with God's heart, if you want to share his desire for the people of all nations to be saved, then you need to pray. 
That's what we do as we seek to reach refugee youth. We keep asking God to go before us. Give us the heart for these precious refugee youth. Pray. You guys need to pray for the nations. We need to pray for the nations who come to live in this city. Do you know how many nationalities are living in the city of Sydney, LGA? Anyone want to have a guess how many? 2016 census, I don't know how much it's increased, but it probably has. 123 nationalities just living in this area. Pray for them. Pray for opportunities to meet people of other nations living around you, your neighbours, the shopkeepers. Gather together and pray for these people. Please pray for us as we try to reach refugee youth. We've got refugee youth coming from Afghanistan. One of the, well, we had mission team members who've, been, who've had to leave Afghanistan because of the Taliban. No one can get in now. And yet we've got Afghans coming to us who don't know the Lord Jesus as Saviour and Lord. We just went walking on the coast and I, I was walking. I mean, this, this staggering. I'm walking along the Coogee to Bondi walk with an Afghan refugee sharing the gospel with him. Lara's been meeting, reading the Bible with a young Afghan girl who's totally disillusioned by, by the Taliban and their brutal treatment of, of Christians. And she is open and ready. And she started reading the gospel of Matthew. And she's, she's warm and open. Pray for these people. Pray for us as we seek to reach them. Pray for the nations around the world too. For unreached people groups, people groups in North Africa, the Middle East, South Asia, Southeast Asia, that 40-20 window that Ed talked about, the 7,000 people groups, the 40% of the world's population who don't know the name of Jesus. Pray for them. Pray that they would hear of Jesus. Pray for the 500,000 Muslim charm in Cambodia that we we're hoping to work amongst 500,000 of them don't know the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray every day for them. I go for a walk with my dog up the M5 track and I pray every day for the charm. I pray that people would go to share the gospel with the charm. I pray that if it's God's will for us to go back and share the gospel with the charm, that God's will would be done. Pray that God would send more than a tiny minority of missionaries to the majority unreached. Use the unreached of the app of the day app Ed mentioned last week. Uh, check out prayercast.com if you're taking notes. Prayercast.com is a website with lots of great prayers for the peoples of the world. You could join the You and You Collective. I don't know if you know about the You and You Collective. It's called the Unreached and Unengaged Collective. It was started by a couple of uni students. In fact, one of them, Lara, taught Sunday school when he was two, when he was three years old. And now he's got together people to pray in this area, in the eastern suburbs, to pray for unreached people groups. Join a collective. Pray for these unreached people groups. Now, I should say a little word of warning. As you pray for the unreached, you might find that God puts on your heart to go yourself to the unreached. Maybe that's what God's will is for you. 
to go and make Jesus known where he's not yet known. In the meantime, while Lara and I wait, if it's God's will to go back to Cambodia, I've started a cross-cultural ministry apprenticeship to help prepare people for that difficult challenge of reaching the unreached. The unreached are hard to reach because they're hard to reach. They're unreached because they're in difficult places, in a difficult culture. And what we're trying to do here in Sydney with the opportunity we have with lots of nations to, to rub shoulders with is to give people experience in that cross-cultural experience. Maybe that's something you'd be interested in doing. Giving it a go in the safety of your own country. Experience what it's like to be a cross-cultural missionary before you take that big leap overseas. Once you've started praying, what do you do? Keep praying. Keep persevering. Keep struggling in it because it's hard work. The devil does not want us to pray. He wants us to get caught up in our world's worldly things. Take our eyes off where the world is going. To take our eyes off this vision of revelation. And to keep getting back on our knees and keep praying to God. Seeking his will. I read a quote in a book that I was reading the other day that said this. When you get to heaven and realize all that prayer did on this earth, you'll be ashamed that you prayed so poorly. Now, I don't think you'll be ashamed in heaven, but you get the point, don't you? You look back and go, oh my goodness, I should have prayed for that person more. I should have prayed for that people group more. Don't get to that point. Start praying now. We've had a glimpse into heaven this morning. and We can see how important prayer is in God's mission. So let's pray. Let's get on with it. There's nothing else that you can do to be part of God's mission. You don't feel you have the gifts of evangelism or ministry. But you can pray. Then you are doing a very, very, very important thing, friends. Don't discount it. I want to tell you a story just as I close up of a faithful Christian friend of mine, older than me, um, who's now gone to glory. Uh, he was involved in our church plant uh, 20 plus years ago. His name was Bruce. And Bruce was, well, he was on his own. He was living in housing commission, uh, didn't have much money, didn't have many opportunities. He had type 2 diabetes and suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. But I tell you what, he could pray. And he never failed to come up to me afterwards at church and said, what can I pray for you, brother? And I knew he was praying for me. I knew he was praying for everybody in the church. Whatever I asked for, he would pray. We'd spend his weeks, his days praying. What a great thing that was. Couldn't do much else but he could do a very important thing, and that was to pray. Let's be like Bruce. Let's be like the persistent widow in Luke 18 who earnestly sought justice from the judge. Let's pray and not give up. I'm going to pray. Join me, please. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this revelation into your throne room where we see your heart for the nations. We see that you have sent the Lord Jesus to lay down his life to rescue people of all nations. Father, we thank you that he is now 
the risen, ascended Lord of all, that he is now in control, that he is putting into effect your plan, your heart for the nations. Father, pray that we would be part of that. We would align our hearts with your heart, that we would see the nations amongst us living here and uh, be aware of those nations living in the world who don't know you, who don't know your son, the name under heaven by which we must be saved. Father, we pray that we would have a heart that seeks to make Jesus known, uh, that prays for people, prays for our friends and our families who don't know you, for the unreached people groups who don't know you. Father, pray that we would continue to commit committed to praying and not give up. We pray that you would answer our prayers uh, as according to your will, that many people from many nations will come to know Jesus and be saved through him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.